Yeah? Oh, perfect. Okay, as Chris said, my name's Paul. Um, I'm one of the directors at DNAD, and I'm really, really privileged to be here. It is possibly the most bonkers venue I have ever been in. I walk through, and there are people doing yoga, juggling, kicking a ball around. I was thinking this is going to be a weird night. Um, and thank you so much for coming. Uh, we really, really appreciate it. It's great to have you here. And thanks for letting us do this in English. It would be hugely embarrassing if I was to do it in French. So you've saved me a lot of, uh, a lot of heartache. So thank you all. Um, the trends kind of give us a, a state of play, I think. Um, they give us a point of reference, which is useful. Um, and we want to continue that conversation now with you all. Um, but we can't do it from a DNAD perspective. So we're really, really fortunate to have two incredibly influential people to join us on stage. Um, first of all, we have Nick Law, who is the president. This is a long title. This, this isn't easy. <laughs> president and uh, global chief creative officer at Publicis. Previously, um, the head honcho at, or almost head honcho, I should say, perhaps at RGA, uh, where they did some great, where he did some great work for people like Nike, uh, Beats, winning a black pencil on the way, uh, he's a great friend of DNAD and does a huge amount for us, so we're really grateful for him to be here. And we also have Olivier Altman, uh, who is the founder of his, uh, or co-founder of his own agency, um, Altman and Pacrow. Did I get that correct? Yeah, that's okay, good. Um, who also has a really esteemed career and loads of uh, a wealth of experience to draw upon and has also picked up many awards on his way. So please give them a warm welcome as they come on the stage. now, beer later. That's the way it works. Yeah. Um, so, the way this is going to work, in a minute I'm going to ask uh, Nick and Olivier just to come up and just show some of the work that's led them here, uh, got them to this stage in their career. It's going to be pretty short, pretty, pretty swift. Um, and then I've got a series of questions that I'm going to run through. Normally we do this in a kind of discursive way, but I'm, as you've noticed, can ramble. So, to, to keep me to task... Um, I've canvassed a, a few opinions and we've got some interesting questions that we're going to run through. It's going to be short and punchy, so maybe about five minutes per question. And then it's over to you guys and we'll have some time for you to tweet your questions. So if you start that now, we'll start collecting them. Um, and we we'll, should, should have about 20 minutes to, to do a bit of a Q&A with you guys as well. So it should be a really fun session. And without further ado, I'm going to ask Nick just to... Uh, do you want to play the work first, then talk about it, or talk? Uh, well, I, the, 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 I was asked to put a reel together. Uh, obviously, I've only just started publicist, so the reel is more representative of the 17 years that I spent at RGA. It starts from a long time ago with a low-res, almost sepia film. I think it's like a silent film. Uh, and then you'll see it progresses. Um, so I'll let you play it, and then I'll make a comment afterwards. This is the Nike Plus Fuel Band, made to inspire anyone to be more active. Its foundation is a universal system of measurement called fuel. Unlike calories, fuel lets you compare yourself with anyone, no matter what their body type is or what they're doing. The Fuel Band is the device you wear that tracks everything you do. One button lets you check your stats. 
LED lights change from red to yellow and then to green when you hit your goal. Motivation is the core of the experience. To make sure fuel is something people want to use and share every day, competition and celebration are built in. In the summer of 2015, Universal Pictures partnered with Beats by Dre to promote Straight Outta Compton, the biopic movie of the headphone company's founding father and billionaire rap mogul, Dr. Dre, growing up in one of the most notorious neighborhoods in the world. What Beats realized is this isn't just about Compton. Everyone is proud of where they're from. So we launched an integrated campaign that celebrated every city in the world because we're all straight out of somewhere. Hashtag Straight Outta became a universal statement for everyone to rep their city. People could create their own custom memes to rep their own hometowns by simply typing in their city name and uploading an image. Across the world, people created their own Hashtag Straight Outta memes. The world's biggest celebrities joined in without receiving any endorsement money from Beats. Well, that worked, didn't it? Yeah. Uh, so just as a, 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 a sort of summary of that. Uh, so prior to working at RGA, I started as a designer in Sydney. I moved to London, worked at Pentagram with Alan Fletcher. And then I, and then I went from designing to advertising. I worked at DNB&B in London. Uh, and then I moved to New York in the mid-90s and worked in the early dot-com. Uh, so by the time I got to RGA in 2001... I had spanned a, 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 a 
quite accidentally a, a bunch of different creative cultures. And it was obvious to me when I started at RGA in 2001 that the web or the internet was going to be the place where all these things came together. And so if, if you look at that, uh, that cross-section of work, it started with um, us uh, exploring the design potentials of the web with Nike, which for Nike Plus, which started as a, as a, as a sensor in a, in a shoe with a, um, or, a, or a accelerometer that went into a, a, a piece of hardware and now lives on your smartphone. So it, it's a good example of how design is actually not, not about the hardware, it's about the platform. Nike Plus has about 40 million people on the platform. Uh, and, and what people are using is dependent more, mostly on the interface rather than the hardware. Um, and, then the, and then the second piece was, uh, what was the second piece? It was, was it Straight Outta Compton? Yep. So, second, the second, so I think the Straight Outta Compton thing is a good example of, of bottom-up storytelling, like helping the audience that lives in the stream tell their story as much as, as the brand tells their story. Uh, and then the sort of maturing of, of RGA's um, narrative skill uh, grew in, uh, into the game before the game, which was the big uh, uh, World Cup spot. Um, and then the last example, which is, uh, which is the Love Has No Labels ad council um, uh, public service thing. That was the first one that we did in, in 2015. I think it has around 200 million views. But subsequently, we've done... Uh, four other episodes, the last one of which was the last thing I worked on at RGA, which uh, it's a 10-minute um, film. Uh, uh, look it up. It's awesome. In fact, uh, 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 the, the team that's worked on it is an Australian called uh, Chris Northam and a, and a Frenchman called Eric Janon. Uh, and, the, and the last thing, so to me, that's a great example of narrative as a platform, right? So it was very sensitive to the cultural context of the time. This one was just before the uh, marriage equality bill. Um, the latest one uh, is a depiction of what happens during a disaster, which seems to happen a lot now, given climate change. And it's a vignette from the Houston um, uh, floods and how people are coming together despite this. So you can see there's a theme that continues based on what's happening in culture. And it's delivered all through the internet and then cut down for TV. And so there you go. Thank I think you I should much. shut up now. Well, before, before we uh, cross to Olivia, incredible work, I think unbelievable stuff. So I guess the question is, why leave, why leave RGA? Why move on? Oh, I left, that's right, I left RGA. <laughs> um, well, so, so uh, you know, RGA, when I started RGA, it was 100 people designing websites. And when I left, it was 2,000 people doing a, a broad variety of work in 20 offices around the world. And, and my role at RGA wasn't just as a creative lead, it was, uh, you know, to figure out what to do next and help build the teams. And so I, I, I did something at RGA which I think the industry should be doing at, at large, which is having the product people, the creative people, figuring out the future of the industry. I don't think we should be leaving the future of our industry up to CFOs and, and operational people. I think we're, you know, often we're in these big public companies and... And, and they need to be run well as public companies by people that know how to do that. But, but when things are changing rapidly, product people, which in our case is creatives, need to decide what the future is. And so for me, it became very important that my next role, because I had a long 
and happy career at RJ and left on good terms. But my next role would be influential. Influential for an industry which is going through a period right now where it's losing its way. And what I was observing before I joined Publicis was an industry where there were no product people, no creative people at the holding company level making the sort of decisions that need to be made right now. Uh, and so I did it. I said no to Artur for six months, and then I finally relented. And I did it based on my confidence that, that, uh, that, that, that his ambitions were aligned with mine. And, uh, and, and I was very intrigued by Publicis because it had a piece that the other holding companies don't have, which is Sapient. Right? And you know, having worked straddled Silicon Valley and Madison Avenue, I understand the power of Sapient and how that can be, um, when connected to communications, transform businesses at a time when sometimes messaging isn't enough. So let's, let's see how it goes then. <laughs> Yeah, interesting, and, and no small no small job to do. Um, so on to Olivier. Do you want to play the real? Shall I play the real first, Olivier? Would you prefer that, or do you want to introduce it? Yes, no. The, just to say that the the resolution is even older, maybe <laughs> than the one of Nick. <laughs> You'll notice three well, are older, so and, and two apologize very, for that. Two very different responses to the same brief. You know, this is what happens when you ask creatives to put a reel together. But there we go. Yeah, there's a bit of an ego trip at the end. But, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of Photoshop on the last <laughs> image, of course, as you can see. Now, uh, yes, uh, maybe as you can see on the reel, I'm a bit uh, kind of different breed. Uh, originally, I was a copywriter, 
and uh, I started uh, in 1987. Uh, I worked first at uh, FCB and then YNR, then I moved to BDDP, uh, which was bought by uh, TBWA. And then I had the opportunity to launch a, a small agency called BDDP and Fees, BDDP and Sons. And uh, it was the, the, ri the rise of the, the startup of 2000, uh, the year 2000. And uh, after that, I joined Publicis because for me it was uh, the opportunity to work on a very uh, big uh, local and global brand. And after 10 years at Publicis, and uh, a few years uh, as a, a global uh, creative role, uh, I decided to go back again into the independent agency, small boutique, uh, because uh, it was uh, for me the right time and I was uh, having this itch to, to, to be back again, uh, maybe more close to, to do work. And uh, maybe as you can see, uh, I'm more uh, fond of uh, entertainment, storytelling. Uh, I would have loved to be uh, maybe a film director or a screenwriter. So uh, what I really like uh, is on one hand uh, uh, the emotion, how you can touch people and also have this kind of uh, brain when, uh, why, uh, sorry, um, where I really like to study business problem, understand client brief. So what I really like about uh, the business we are in is to combine this creative part with this business uh, problem. And I think the, this is uh, really the, the, great, uh, the great challenge for us. Uh, so it will be interesting to, to see uh, how we are dealing now with, uh, with the modern world and all the challenges uh, ahead. Let's go for it then. Let's, let's start. Although, you know, maybe for Nick's benefit, you should say why you left publicist after 10 years. But no, no, no we, won't, we won't do that. Um, so, I mean, I think undeniably there is a lot of kind of doom, doom mongering, I guess. I don't know if that translates particularly well. Um, but we're, we're certainly pretty down on the industry at the moment, definitely in the UK, definitely in London. Um, so I thought we'll start upbeat. And, you know, what is the one thing that you're looking forward to, to challenging, to doing in the industry over the next year? Or what do you hope to see um, in the next year coming out of the industry, maybe? And I'll give that to uh, Olivier. Do you want to kick okay. off? Uh, to be honest, uh, I'm really focused on the, on the present. Uh, you know, and when you run the company or when you have a client uh, and you have to deliver something in the next two weeks, uh, personally, I don't think so much about the future, but I'm thinking about the next week or the next few days. Uh, but what exciting me a lot is that we have now uh, more and more the opportunity to propose uh, solutions in any kind of fields. And uh, one field that really uh, excites me is uh, all this uh, brand content stuff where you have the ability to to uh, to talk and to write with uh, with great storyteller, great director, and to have some brands who support, uh, of course, product innovation, but also uh, very long storytelling, not necessarily ten seconds, five seconds, and uh, so to deliver a very um, a very uh, powerful emotion. 
that's quite exciting for me uh, at the moment. I have the feeling that the clients are allowing us to to invest a lot of different fields, product design, uh, innovation, and uh, and there is a uh, a sense where you know the entertainment industry is going really close to the advertising industry, which for me is quite exciting too. Right. Okay. Nick. Um, the, so my concern right now is that um, I, I don't want to spend time at Publicis uh, and make a better version of the old model. I think there's been times when uh, we've celebrated uh, creatives that have come in and taken really crappy networks or agencies and, 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 and done a great job to, to get good work, right? Um, I want good work. It's, you know, I really care about work and craft. That's been something that I think um, um, you can see from the work. But I'm more interested in the model. Uh, I'm more interested in the creative task of designing an agency. What does an agency look like? How do you structure teams? You know, what are the people in the teams? How do they sit together? How do they work together? How do you create new capabilities for an agency? How do you make sure an agency doesn't get caught out when a client asks for something that you're not ready for because you didn't invest in it, right? And then how do you take a, a, a series of agencies at the group level and connect them in the way that you, you can create something much bigger? So for me, my, uh, the, my, the thing I, I'm interested in and excited about, because I'm excited about uh, the result of that, is what is a modern agency? What is it? What is it composed? How do you design it? And and I've noticed actually that the agency business hasn't been very good at reinventing itself for a very simple reason, and that is that, that change is a is a design problem, and the culture of a lot of agencies is storytelling, and I think we need to do more than that right now. I don't think, like, if you're a narrative culture. The way that you've built your clients' businesses is telling stories on top of very stable structures, stable media templates, stable business. Nothing stable anymore. We, there, are, there are more media um, templates, more uh, channels, more opportunities now that, that will be created in the next six months than the last 10 years. So our ability as creative people to master those mediums and to make them work for our clients is entirely dependent on who we are, how we're structured, and how we approach it. So that's my big concern. And I'm excited, but I'm also worried. I'm very worried about our industry. I'm worried because I think that we've had the wrong points of reference in recent times. We just need to admit two things right now. It's, al it's already too late to admit this. The first thing is the internet won. It won, right? There was a time there during the dot-com bubble when all my colleagues in agencies were going, oh, when it bursts, we can just get back to doing fucking advertising, right? And the second thing, which is, to me, even more powerful, is that the best version of the internet is a mobile phone. That is the best version of the internet. So if your starting point when you're thinking creatively isn't what it's going to look like when I do this, then you're already 10 years out of date. So you have to to do that, I think, for me. And I'm, I'm making it sound like it's really grim. I'm, I'm supposed to be excited. This was the upbeat bit. Yeah. No, but my point is that, is that it's, I find it really interesting to restructure teams 
and I think I may have mentioned this before in a conversation, which is, of all the industries in the world, ours should be the easiest to change. Because we aren't changing machines or any supply chain. We don't have to change the buildings or the technology, really. What we're selling is in here. And we can change this overnight. And it, we're, we're a bunch of people that are deciding to do something. We should be able to change completely tomorrow. So that's, a, that's what I'm excited about, getting a lot of people together and trying some things and creating a model that's going to last for more than a few years. Because if we don't, the holding companies are going to collapse and the creative culture is going to emerge out of the ashes, mostly out of small independence. But in the meantime, we'll lose all these great creative people to big digital platforms and consultancies on the client side where they'll be like janitors and they won't be the product. Right, were the product in this industry. And how, I guess the, the, the challenge then is how do you do that level of change whilst keeping the money coming through the door? You know, is it, is it how will you balance those two things in terms of needing to pay the man to tomorrow whilst also making these big structural changes across a huge network? I think one of your questions is about independent versus, and I think I'll save my answer for that because I think it's part of it, yeah. Perfect. Okay, so next. I think this directly relates to, I think, a lot of what Chris was talking about in the trim report and, and the prevalence of data and the relationship that the industry has with data. Um, and just a, a kind of gut question, really, for you both. In how do you balance, in your own work, data and instinct and gut and the approach you take to a particular brief? Who wants to take that first? Uh, first, I think uh, the big difference also that you will see here is that uh, depending on the size, depending on the tools, depending on the people, you cannot achieve the same things. So uh, concerning data, for example, if you have um, a lot of access with data and people smart enough to analyze, that, analyze them, then you can find some insight, you can find some ideas. Uh, but... Uh, I, I read sometime that you know data, data, sorry, sorry, are totally pointless without somebody's looking at them and trying to find a meaning into them. So there is no information finally in data. It's just number, just fact. It's a human brain that will suddenly decide to point this instead of that. But if the human mind is pointing that suddenly, the analysis is totally different. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more, but I will agree more. Um, the way that I try to get creative people comfortable with the idea of data is I describe it as augmented experience. So, uh, Olivia is right. As creative people, our instinct needs to be fed by experience. We have instinct because we know that when we hear a growl behind us, there's a fucking tiger about to eat me. Right, but that's data that I got because I've seen it, and you know. But similarly, in our business, when we make stuff, um, I've you know, you have a personal set of data, which is all the good work you've done, all the crap work you've done, all the conversations you've had with your colleagues, you know, and even the stuff like going to galleries and watching people do uh, break dancing, and all that stuff feeds us. It's our own data, and out of that, we're able to have instinct. Instinct is uh, at least creative instinct, is completely dependent on inputs. 
and those inputs, I think, are data. So, so we just need to consider data as, as an augmentation of that. But as Olivier says, there's plenty of experience we have in our lives that aren't very good when we're synthesizing into our work. You know, I played rugby and I got my nose broken five times. I don't think any of that was good data for doing advertising. <laughs> Helped in other ways, right? And there, and there are times when we might get data from um, a data scientist or something that actually we have no use for. It doesn't represent anything that, that points to the future or anything that we can triangulate or synthesize and turn into something. And we, and we need to be honest about that and leave it up to our creative instincts to make those decisions. It's not a mechanical process. I just answered exactly the same thing that Olivier did, but in twice as much time. <laughs> and this, I guess this has kind of been answered, but this, that sort of... Th your answer there, both of you, requires a certain culture, I think, a, th a certain way of looking at, at, at data and technology and going back to your previous point, Nick, as well, about how do you create cultures that actually can make the most out of tech and data rather than fearing it? Because I, I do get the sense, and I think we're always surprised by the lack of technology-based pieces of work that get entered into our awards or disruptive tech that we see coming forward in, in, in the awards. And we wonder whether that's more culture or whether that's, I don't know what's holding that back, but any, any perspective on that? I mean, I th the, the first point is every single piece of work that you get at DNAD is delivered by a technology. Yeah. Everything. Everything, right? Print is a very sophisticated technology that changed Europe. Changed it completely, right? Revolutionary. TV was a revolutionary technology. We are all practitioners in technology. The question is, what are we calling technology? Are we calling technology the stuff that, we're, that we understand? No, because we think that's like air. We're calling technology the stuff that came along after we got good at our jobs. And we're at a point in time where technology has come along so rapidly because of the internet, right? Because what the internet did is connect everyone. And when you connect everyone, innovation goes like this. Because innovation is you know, two ideas coming together to make a third idea. So the more connections you have, the more innovations you have. So we're at a point right now where this is a really good question because it is culture. Culture is the thing that's preventing this industry from taking advantage of all the new mediums, right? Now, I don't believe, for example, and this might be controversial, I don't believe in, in the big idea. I believe in ideas. I don't believe in the big idea as the industry has talked about it. Because the big idea is a way of t saying that there's such thing as an idea which is above technology, right? That you can have an idea, a creative idea, I'm not talking about strategy, a creative idea that is not connected to execution. That's complete bullshit. It's bullshit. And, and one, of the re one of the acid tests of this is when someone tells me about their big idea, when they explain it to me, it's a fucking tagline and an anthem film. Right, so they're showing it to me with, through a very specific technology, which is broadcast or film, right? So my point here, right, is that our biggest challenge right now is, is there are two things. The first thing is my mum's calling me. <laughs> and the second thing, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She disagreed, I think. No, that, so uh, the first thing is that we need to admit, right, that we, that we can't be creative without a medium. And so every time a medium comes along, we need to be creative with it, right? Um, but also, because of the internet, 
all of these mediums are happening so quickly that our, our ability to create a grammar and, and, and a way of using these technologies creatively um, needs to catch up. Because in the, in the past, when we got a new format, like when film first came along, for the first decade of film, it was theatre that was filmed. There was no editing. They were using an old grammar for a new technology. In the early days of TV, it looked like someone reading radio being filmed, right? Old grammar with new technology. That's fine if you've got a decade to get it right. It's not fine when a Snapchat filter comes up and then next I've got Instagram stories and then next I've got AI and conversational interfaces and blah, 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 blah. So the only way that we can deal with this is if we stop believing that, that, that the only thing we're supposed to do is come up with a fucking big idea and start understanding that we need to get in the tools and start making stuff. I don't, I don't want Facebook to come to me and tell me what best practices are. I don't need Google to come to me and tell me what best practices are on YouTube, right? The example I give there is that's like Kodak going to Scorsese and saying, this is how you tell stories. But the reason they're doing that is because they have to go directly to clients because we're not using their fucking tools. And when we are using their tools, we're taking a TV script and putting in Instagram stories. If I'm a young creative person, the thing that I'm most excited about now is to get my hands on the tools and to create a new grammar. What sort of an opportunity is that? I can create a whole new world, a whole new way of telling stories, of interacting with people. Why am I leaning on this archaic idea of a big story that's a fucking tagline and anthem film? And that's all I've got to say. <laughs> Don't drop the mic. <laughs> Olivia. Yes, I think that uh, <clears throat> uh, we are always like, you know, um, kids looking for the next toys in terms of technology and so on. And what is really important is to be at the level where people are actually doing things and using things. So uh, what I usually challenge the creative when they are trying to, to grab a new technology for the sake of it, instead of being in line with, with what their mother or brother are actually uh, doing. And um, I also strongly believe that uh, we are human beings. And in fact, uh, we should not forget um, that we behave uh, almost um, the same like where we are, uh, where we were, sorry, a prehistorical uh, man in the cavern, you know? The desire, the need, the, the, the way we behave, the communication rely on very fundamental, intangible uh, um, rules, you know? So what is really important is to be sure, to make sure that uh, we grab the innovation, but we apply it with all the, the good sense of what a human being is, how he respond to message, to technology, to everything. And uh, uh, the problem I have the feeling at the moment is that we might have a, a fracture, I don't know how to say that, uh, between two generations of creatives. And uh, we need both brands. So when you have people, I guess, with like Nick, like me, like others, who are uh, raised 
uh, yes, with technology, but also with a fundamental uh, uh, lesson of advertising, understanding a brief of problems, uh, how people behave. This is one way of uh, doing our job. And you have also a, a new breed of creative who are really uh, excited to, to grab the next tools. But sometimes they are totally uh, handicapped in terms of how communicate with millions of people, uh, bringing uh, true emotion to them. So what is really challenging for me at the moment is to, to make sure that this next generation will be as good as the old one to understand the... Uh, our business, how to be a, a good creative, and also, of course, being able to to grab the new world uh, and to stay always ahead, a bit ahead of the people. Because if we want to to not uh, be uh, bypassed by Facebook or YouTube, who come to the client and say, "Okay, I will explain you how to how to deal with us," we need to be more smart than them for sure. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's quite interesting that almost that's an everything and, and nothing has changed kind of perspective. And I guess Nick's sort of position is that actually the world's gone beyond that now. So it's two great Yeah, but, answers, I, but I think that, in fact, uh, I believe we, are, we agree on everything. I hope so. <laughs> but uh, uh, it's, there is a... Uh, some people are more secure maybe with the fundamental and some people are more excited with the future. And the, uh, the, the question is how can you to, to grab both perfectly? You know, on the reel of, uh, of Nick, what I really like is the latest piece of work, which for me is not about uh, the wall and the technological, it's about the emotion uh, that brings to me. And, uh, and I'm sure he put this piece of work maybe at the end also because he have the, building, the feeling that this is uh, the climax. And I think this is a perfect combination of using technology but also delivering something very warm and human to other human beings. Uh, so I, d I think the issue, because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm understanding that there is fundamentals are important Right, but I do worry that our industry has mistaken practice for principles. I do think that there's parts of practice from the past that we think are principles, but I actually think aren't principles. I think they're just artifacts of a time. My experience with young creatives is they have uh, a, a great fluency in the mediums that matter to them. Um, I've got a I've got a, a 16 year old daughter who is amazing on Instagram. Um, far more sensitive to that medium than anyone that I've worked with, uh, you know, in the agency world. And I think that's a problem, right? Because I worry that um, that that we keep reaching for these uh, for these fatuous maxims, right? These these things which are like the, these things we hold on to. Which, which cover up our curiosity. So that's my concern there. I, I do worry about that because, because I do think things have changed. And I also think, incidentally, that technology, of which everything we do is a part of, but technologies that are about enabling behavior, in some ways are more emotional right, than a, than a story. The stories are different. Stories are about the revealed moment. right? It's about 
being surprised, being surprised, and something revealing itself. Um, often these big platforms, they accrete value over time. Stories, they lose value over time because after you've had that initial rush, the, the utility of the story goes down because you've seen it. Right? A platform, obviously, at the beginning, doesn't have the same emotional effect, but over time, it creates it accretes this value, and and you know, and also there is emotion even in things that seem emotionless. Like if you look at a, a, a Google search page, you got a one-pixel entry field with a search button there. That doesn't seem very emotional. But what if you're looking, you're trying to find out about a disease that your daughter has, and you put in a query there, and you get something back. That seems pretty fucking emotional to me, right? Or their fuel ban. Like, I've had people come up to me and say, I used to be 300 pounds, and then I started to use a full fuel ban. Thanks for that. That's awesome. I can now wear pants that I wore when I was 20. That's pretty emotional. So let's just be clear about these. both of these worlds, creating behaviors, messages and stories, are, are what makes us human. They both make us human. And, and, and I don't think we can put the veneer on technology on the thing that looks like design and not put the veneer on technology on the thing that looks like storytelling because I think they're equally important and they should be working together. Brilliant. Two great answers. Um, so I couldn't let you leave the stage, I guess, without getting your... Uh, there it is. Um, I guess you to respond well, to this Well, he's going to give me a job, so I won't... <laughs> Um, and yeah, just ask you to respond to, to that really. Network versus independent, where are we at the minute? Uh, you can say whatever you want. No, no, but <laughs> <laughs> honestly, <laughs> I think it's more about culture than network or independent because you have sometimes a great network with a great creative culture and you have really crappy independent agency who are doing shitty work. So it's about the people it's about the culture, and for sure, uh, the bigger the agency is, the more power you have to do global campaigns, to have global clients, but the, the danger is to lose a culture with the size, so what is really difficult when you work in a big network is to make sure that the culture is uh, at a high level uh, at every stage. It's more easy when you're small, when you're more in an independent agency, but I can say exactly the opposite. The opposite, when you are uh, working in the independent agency, you're also uh, depending even more about the, the money you receive from the client. So you might lose, you might, you might lose the momentum of standing for something because you're so focused on uh, paying the, the rent. And maybe when you work in the network as a creative, you say, okay, there is those guy, financial guy, so I'm here for one thing, which is creativity. So... I think it's it's less a question of size and more a question of culture and people. I think it's really hard to deal with size, right? And and one of the reasons, like the the big brand networks within these holding companies, almost all of them were started by creative people in the in the sixties and seventies, right? So Burnback and Ogilvy and these guys, right? They were product people. And they were small, and they were, they were like Olivier's company. Now they all started off like that, and that's where you get a really defined vision, and 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 I think that's really important. And even now, at the same time that the holding companies, the creatives in the holding companies, have surrendered leadership 
and become infantilized by awards. The two big um, uh, independents, uh, that are successful independents, which is Wyden and Droger, are independents that are led by creative people. That's where the, the le creative leadership is right now. It's in the independents. Why they're doing awesome work. So this is why I took the job. Because I actually think we need to have an independent spirit led by creatives that care about the product as much as the business. We can't ignore the business. And part of our responsibility as creatives is to understand that. Someone's got to pay our rent. But we need to bring that vision that, this, that these founders had into the network. Otherwise, we're dead. You know, we're not going to compete against Deloitte and Accenture with accountants because they've got better accountants than us. But they don't have better creative people. They don't have crazy people. We've got crazy people. We've got crazy people that can't get jobs in any other industry. Right? As soon as we start wanting to have really polite workplace where there's no crazy people, then we're going to be just like Accenture. So we need to so I think both are important. Independence, because that's where the magic is and they grow into bigger things. And holding companies because that's where the business is. That's where the business is. And also, more and more we find that clients are asking for cross-agency solutions. And so we need to figure out the culture, not only of the individual agencies, but of how to create cultures that connect. And that's really hard. Just watch at what happens with these WP smash-ups. Just watch. It's going to be very interesting to see if those cultures survive. Right? So, so, the, so they're both important. It would be ruinous for our industry if they weren't independents. We need independence. But the scale comes from the networks. We need that scale to, and we need to be able to connect a bunch of different capabilities which you can't do it in a smaller size. Thank you. I could ask a million more questions about that, but we're running out of time. So last question from me. I'm going to ask you to keep it brief. Um, but what the, we've, this is conversation so far has been kind of quite... I guess we've, you know, we've looked a lot inside at the, in, at the industry from ourselves, from an external perception. There's some seriously worrying trends. Something came out in, in the UK really recently just saying that I think we're just, I think we're punching just below state agents at the moment in popularity as, a, as an industry. So, you know, what do we need to be doing to be liked again by the general public, by people that are looking for a job? I think we need to do our job properly. Yeah? Uh, I think that when you do your job properly, when you do a great innovation, a great product, a great campaign, people love it and uh, they, they, they grab it. So I think that when you think of advertising, maybe the old way, and you see what everything, uh, all the crap that, that are done, uh, the real advertising, the one you can watch everywhere, you can be also a bit disappointed, but uh, uh, it's it's quite ambivalent because it's like journalism. You know, people are now uh, considering journalists as maybe just at the same level of uh, advertising people. You know, very very low in terms of ranking, but journalism is a is a is a really uh, great thing, and it's thanks to that that you 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 know ex exactly what's happening. So. I think first we need to believe in ourselves and stop having this kind of, uh, you know, uh, uh, self-depreciation attitude. 
when you look at someone who doesn't believe in itself, you don't want to 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 believe it, to to follow him. And um, and I think that if we are more uh, ambitious, more uh, I don't know what to say, exigent uh, uh, with ourselves, I think people we will look at the work, at the innovation, and uh, and and be proud of what we are doing. <coughs> I mean, in a way, I don't really give a fuck. <laughs> um, I care more if my wife likes me. Um, but I think Olivia is exactly That's right. That's the next question, I think. <laughs> no, but we've we've all had those those times I'm sure you have when people have actually come up and say, I really like that, you know. Or you're, you're, and it's rare because there's a, lot of, there's a lot of gumph out there. But the other thing that's changed recently, which I think is really important, and people will start to understand this, is, is that w right now our life is managed, right, by this thing in our pocket. And the platforms that we use, the technology we use, uh, two of the big ones, right, make our lives infinitely better in many ways than they ever have. Like, I, I don't get lost anymore. Never get lost, right? I, I mean, I can find out immediately all of the knowledge in the world. All the knowledge in the world is in my pocket. It's crazy. It's crazy, right? I can connect with friends that I haven't seen instantly. I can create something. Unless if you don't have any battery. Yeah, <laughs> unless they're trying to fix that. But anyway, my point is all of those things that I just mentioned are paid by advertising. That's a relationship I have. There's no reason, it's one of the reasons it's really hard to track GDP right now and why I think all the calculations about personal wealth are way off because we are getting all of these free things that add enormous value to our lives that if you thought you had to pay for would take thousands of dollars out of our paychecks every month. But as it is, they've been delivering to us free. It seems like a pretty good exchange to me, Right? So this is at some point, and this is where when people are going to start realizing this is when Facebook is forced to have some sort of subscription model, or or like Spotify, they'll have a freemium um, a structure where you can get it for free if you have advertising, or you can get it without advertising, you know, for for fifty dollars a month, right? And so what will happen is people will be faced with that choice and decide. Do I want advertising? Now, that doesn't absolve us of responsibility of doing advertising that isn't shitty. We still need to treat each other with enough respect that when we put something in front of people, they enjoy it. You're right? But I do think the calculation, the economic calculation, needs to be put in, in, into place. I really do. And I do think that, that people sort of realize that. And the problem our, our industry is going to have is if Facebook and Google and those places do our forced tab subscription models or a freemium model, then the people that, that, uh, that are lowest income will be served ads and the people that have the highest income won't be. And then the advertisers will say, shit, how do we reach people with high income? <laughs> so we'll be, we'll be back to square one. You know, so it's very complicated, but I also think that I, I completely agree with Olivier. We need to do our jobs better. <laughs> Do, do stuff that we would want to see. Perfect. Well, I've been incredibly greedy, and I've got stacks more, more of these to come, but I think we should hand it over to yourselves now. So to help with the Q&A and help me out with my poor French, um, we've got uh, Jeremy Lopez, who's going to help us out, who's hopefully been tracking Twitter, and we've got a few questions. Please welcome to the stage. <laughs> 
Yes, and I have one interesting question first. Um, I was uh, having a look at the best place to work worldwide, and we don't see any agency, advertising agency. And I have this question from uh, Julie. Um, do you still believe that agencies are the best place to work when you are a creative? I wish I'd done that question. Um, so I, I think there are lots of good places to work. I think creativity is a very important thing. The fact that clients are building creative teams means that they think it's important. Um, Facebook and Google are places that creative people can go. You can go to the consultants even if you want to wear really you know, neat clothes. Um, the problem is, is, is not where you get most snacks and where you can sit in the beanbag. The question that I would ask if I'm a young creative person is can you become boss there? Because what that says is do, does the thing that you do have value? Is it the thing that makes money at that company? And the answer is, if you're at Deloitte, you can't become boss. A consultant. At some point, you're going to report up to a consultant. If you're at Facebook, you can't become boss. At some point, an engineer, a, a very wealthy person with Asperger's is going to be you know, up here. If you go to uh, Verizon or, you know, or a client, at some point, right? So the point there is not, um, there are good places to work. Another question is, where's the place you should work where your talent is the most valued? And so, and it's an acid test, because no, not everyone wants to become the boss, but could you become boss? Could you become boss? I think that's a more useful question. It doesn't mean you should put up with a shitty environment and shitty pay, right? And that, uh, our industry needs to get better at providing those things. But don't be seduced by endless snacks, you know, and colorful doors and little hutches that you can go and huddle in. If, if, you're, in, if you're not doing the thing that, that brings value to the world, which is creating stuff. And there's a lot of creative people, it's a diaspora of creative people that are going to the edges of our industry, to places where they're not the product. So one, one thing that might happen is that we so fuck up the industry that it shrinks by two-thirds. All the people rush off to these other entities. And then out of the ashes, a new industry will be built, and then they'll come back. It's like the music industry. The music industry shrunk by two-thirds. And then it had to be rebuilt on a new foundation. And then there's amazing music right now, and I can get it any time. So it's a healthy industry, but it needed to go through some sort of shock. Maybe we need to do that. And maybe in the short term, we should go and work at Google. I don't know. Olivier, you want me to end there? Yeah, it's interesting because at the moment you see a lot of articles of people are, who are really having a, a shitty life at Google or at uh, you know game videos because they are working like hell, uh, like slaves to to deliver hours of coding, hours of so. Uh, what is really strange and good in our business is that we are still welcoming people from different backgrounds, and if you're smart enough, uh, you're, you're, you're creative enough, you go quite quickly uh, at the top ladder. And I think we, we are both examples of people who have not done, uh, you know, uh, Cambridge or, you know, and... No, I, I have no degree. <laughs> exactly. <No. Okay. laughs> me, me, a very small one. And we, we are 
you know, or, um, even Arthur, you know, he has done some, uh, of course, business school, but, uh, you know, he's leading. As he is, not obvious to me. <laughs> no, but, so, uh, advertising is a place where talent can really be rewarded very quickly. I think so. Uh, I had a question from Mathieu. Uh, he's asking about CSR. Uh, he said, uh, is it still possible to pretend to win a pencil without linking the client to a charity or CSR? Like 95% of the case we saw in the trend report. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, that, that's really a, a good question. And uh, I was surprised this year that uh, PNG won both uh, Gold Lion or Grand Prix, one for the talk, another one for Tide. And uh, one was about, you know, just selling uh, a washing uh, powder, uh, you know, and saying uh, my T-shirt is whiter than whiter. And the, uh, and the other one is really about engaging and social conscience. And uh, I have the feeling, but because I'm a bit uh, sarcastic, that... Uh, Uh, all those uh, responsibility uh, messages uh, that the, the big brands are now uh, uh, grabbing to promote their own product uh, maybe will come to an end because people will be fed up to see this combination of uh, you know uh, business money and those companies trying to embrace Uh, global problems. Uh, so, on one hand, uh, I'm not sure I'm quite clear. On one hand, it's a it's a really good thing because those costs uh, are being raised, and suddenly they have the money, thanks to the big brands, to be promoted. But on the other hand, uh, I would be happy to to have a a washing power uh, powder. Sorry, uh, start. Uh, being just better or selling me uh, his own advantage just trying to save the world because uh, what you are buying when you go to a shop store is not necessarily also uh, uh, a mission or a conscience but uh, much more a good seat or a good, a good, uh, a good shoes. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that, absolutely. No, but the other thing that we need to understand is the order of things, right? So our, we live in a society that is, you know, in a world that for the first time there are more people dying of eating too much than too little. And it's, we've got there because we've, we're, we've created amazing markets and, and, and global trade. And I know that there, there are people, including, you know, a Republican president that is, is trying to, make that more difficult. But we've become wealthy and we all sit here and we're going to go and have nice meals and we have security for our children because of markets, because of the economy, right? And what that privilege gives us is the ability to do things that are good and humane. So let's just be clear. We can't do, right, the CSR stuff if we don't have businesses that are successful and we don't have surplus money to do it. So I think we should be doing more of it But we can't do it unless we build our clients' businesses. We can't. There'll be no money. Where's the money going to come from, right? So, so I th you know, and, and it's interesting, too, because I think the value of these things, these CSRs, is more not about companies telling 
telling people what they should think. It's about starting conversations around really important topics. I think that's a better role than a, than a company saying, you should think this. And I come back to the, the talk by P&G. I don't know how many of you saw this, but I was on the Andes jury, which I think was one of the first juries to look at that work. And we had a, a, a Facebook Live um, discussion of that piece of work. And on the jury, we had an African-American guy called Jeff Edwards, who's a friend of mine who, who, who I hired for, for RJ on, in L.A. Great. And, and, you know, tragically, and this is, I think, one of, the, one, of the, one of the bad things about industry, he was the only African-American on the jury. And so he felt the responsibility to tell us white folk about the talk. And he had a problem with that. He had a huge problem with it. Because he, he was worried that the talk only showed African-American mothers speaking to their kids. And he said, as an African-American man, I find that offensive. I think it's important that we represent my gender in this equation in a fairer way. That's a useful conversation. It was a beautiful piece of film, and I think it's done a lot of good. But in his case, it started a conversation. But going back to my original point, P&G makes a lot of money. That's how, why they can do that. Yes. Uh, oh, just to end up on that, uh, I thought when I look at the, the talk, I say, I would be interesting to look at all the campaign of PNG and look how many black people are in it. Yeah. This would be, for me, a big difference. So uh, I'm always worried that uh, those brands are really be believe what they are saying and practicing. Yeah, and I think, they are. I think they're doing that, by the way. At least in, in modern times. Do we have time for a last question or? Chris, one more. Okay, okay yeah, one more. So, what is your, for you, the best campaign of the year? What was the last thing you did, Olivia? No, frankly, I don't do good campaigns since a long time. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no I think. Personally, I think the, the 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 good thing now that there is only not anymore one campaign. There is a bunch of good ideas, very good ideas, and uh, maybe I remember when you going to Canada, DNA, you said this is a top of the top. But now you go, you come back with much more type of work, and this is really exciting to say. I love this bracelet. I I love this uh, storytelling uh, idea. I love this initiative. And uh, so it's like it's like the the Oscar or the film. It's difficult when you start to compare different kind of beasts. I have. I, I just remembered something that I, I that is recent, which I love, and I don't just love it because it's a publicist agency. I love it because it's so crushingly simple. It's so simple, and it's the Pompidou um, thing that Marcel did. It's so fucking simple and beautiful, and it makes so much sense. There's nothing about it that doesn't make sense. Like, like I mean, I live in New York, and I go to these, these street sellers, and they've got the Eiffel Tower and the Statue of Liberty, and, and, and the way that you just act as if you're that is already uh, elevating what that is. So I love the, the Pompidou Center stuff by Marcel. Nice one, guys. <laughs> Well, thank you. Thank you, Jeremy, for stepping in and, and helping. That's hugely appreciated.
a massive thank you to Nick and Olivia. I thought they were totally honest. Thank you. Um, and actually really optimistic. I think what a great year ahead for 2019. And thank you all for coming and, uh, and sharing it with us. Thank you.